The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flump. Chris, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Starting to get into the nice days. We're getting close to the draft. We are getting closer. It's coming, eventually. Only a couple <laughs> weeks couple weeks away. So, like all of these podcasts have for quite a while, we're talking a bunch of prospects we're going to get into some questions we've gotten about some draft prospects and draft scenarios and things we're going to get to that in a little bit we're going to start by just talking about some of the visits the giants have had lately with draft prospects and, and the private visits and the top 30 visits players coming to the facility and what that means if anything what players stand out from there so as we look at the top 30 visits, and these are the guys, each team gets a, a list of guys they get to bring in uh, to the facility. It's limited to 30, but there's a difference because some can be local visits and those don't count. It's you know, it kind of can be confusing depending on what is considered local, like Penn State for the Giants is considered local. So somehow, <laughs> yeah, what really matters is that the teams get to pick which players they want to come in. And as we've seen over the past, you know, about two weeks since these visits have really started is the giants are definitely focusing on bringing in a lot of the top defensive players. Guys who have been brought in for visits include the top defensive guys all over the field. There's been the Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen, they brought in Nick Bosa just in case any of those three fall. You know, Quellen Farrell has been in this week. Dexter, Dexter Lawrence, Lawrence was in. And most recently they brought in Ed Oliver. So these visits, you know, don't mean these are who the Giants are going to be drafting or these are who you know, are at the, the top of the Giants board. I think last year, only two guys they brought in of the top 30 visits were actually draft picks. And I think that was Barkley and Will Hernandez. I don't think they brought any of their other draft picks in as part of these visits last year. So I don't think there is a predictable aspect to who is bringing in, but it is interesting that these are the players who are being brought in right now. Yeah, and there is has been a little bit of a philosophy shift 
with respect to the top 30 visits from Jerry Reese to Dave Gettleman. Jerry Reese used to use these visits to get a closer look at some of the later round picks, the guys they might not have been able to make it to too many games or really kind of emerge during the draft process and who they might not have as much tape on or have spent quite as much time on during the season or the preceding, I don't know, 11 months of draft prep. With Dave Gettleman, he seems to be using these 30 visits to get a closer look at the guys at the top of his board. I'm not going to say whether one approach is better than the other, but it is kind of an interesting dichotomy between the two. So I think this does show where the Giants' concentration is going to be, even if they aren't especially predictive. They're definitely looking to use the top of their draft to bolster their defense. They have brought in very few offensive players, really just a couple quarterbacks. And for the most part, they have been front seven players. Basically, as we record this, the Giants are having a two-day visit with Devin Bush, linebacker out of Michigan, in addition to all the other top guys. We've talked about the edge rushers, the defensive tackles, all that. So I think that does kind of tell us where they might be looking, at least early on. Yes, uh, and we should note also within these visits, the quarterbacks have been there. They've brought in or will bring in just about all of the top quarterbacks, I think, except for Kyler Murray. I don't believe I've seen anything uh, with them linked to bringing him in, uh, unless I'm wrong there. Uh, But he's most likely to be long gone by the time the Giants pick. But I think every other quarterback they have been at least linked to talking to, and that includes Haskins, Drew Locke, uh, Daniel Jones, I believe Will Greer was also in there. But for right now, we're going to focus on the defense because that increasingly seems like that is going to be where the Giants go at the sixth overall pick. And I feel like the more I think about it, and this was kind of, this had been kind of stewing in my brain for a little bit, but it kind of popped up as it was announced that Ed Oliver was going to be one of the Giants' visits this week, is that I'm having a hard time believing if the Giants are strictly a best player available team and they're going to draft that way. And Dave Gettleman has drafted that way. He says he will draft that way. I have a hard time believing that Ed Oliver shouldn't be the pick if that is how they're going to view how they draft. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I could see an argument for Ryan Burns or Montez Sweat just based on the fact that they do have defensive tackles and they don't really have any proven edge rushers. However, roster depth has never been an obstacle for Dave Gettleman when it comes to the draft. He will draft to a position of strength and he will double down on it if he feels he's getting a good value. And just as a player, Ed Oliver is absolutely fascinating with just the amount of talent he has and the diversity of his skill set and also how little it was used in Houston. Yeah, I don't think we can really underrate how strange his fit in Houston was. So per Sports Info Solutions rookie handbook, Ed Oliver lined up at nose tackle. So over the center, 
And remember, Ed Oliver is a 280, 290, maybe a pound player. And reportedly during the season, he was playing at about 270. Yeah, so he lined up at nose tackle on 64.2% of his defensive snaps. And Dexter Lawrence, who is a 340-pound defensive lineman at Clemson, lined up at nose tackle 48.1% of his defensive snaps. So Oliver was consistently just over the center. He was consistently like double and triple teamed occasionally. Not a lot of players are double teamed as much as people say they are, but I think Oliver was that case. He was in the middle of the defensive line, like literally the middle on top of the center. He's the only player on that Houston defense that opposing offensive linemen really had to deal with. And that is part of what cut into Oliver's production, but he had an 11.7% pressure rate, which when you consider he was at the nose on over 64% of his snaps is actually kind of insane. And then you watch Oliver, you see how he tested. We always knew he was going to be a crazy good athlete. You get him into just any NFL scheme that is going to use him better than Houston did. And he is going to be just a complete monster. Absolutely. And the thing with Oliver is he almost reminds me of Jason Pierre-Paul in that I'm not sure the testing accurately captured or completely captured his athleticism. His foot quickness and just agility and ability to move in space, uh, he plays like a 220-pound linebacker whenever he has to go anywhere. Like He can play as a three-dimensional player in space but he explodes upfield like an edge ru- like an edge rusher or just a classic three technique you know i'm starting to see comparisons of him to john randall and i don't hate that yeah i've thought all along that if he can get his hands sorted out so he can really polish and fine-tune his technique and really finish his rushes, his upside is Aaron Donald. I don't want to say that's who he is going to be, but that's who he could be. And with that just agility and ability to play in space, I think a defensive coordinator like James Betcher, who likes to move players around, who likes to get creative with his pressure packages and all of that, he could have an absolute field day with a player like Oliver. Yeah, placing... Oliver with someone like Betcher who would be able to move him around. He Oliver would play 0% of his snaps at nose tackle. Uh, that's probably going to be the case for almost any NFL team that Oliver goes to that knows how to use him. Um, but Betcher would be able to move him around between the 3-4 the and 4-3, depending on you know, how many people are on the line. And of course, that differs... You know, they're a 3-4 base, but that doesn't really mean anything, especially when you're a nickel. And a lot of times there are just four defensive linemen anyway. But moving Oliver around, he can play that the traditional defensive tackle. You can put him out on the end, especially on a three-man line. He can handle himself there. He can get around the edge. You get him close to the ball, and he can work the center and the guard to sneak through. And I think when we start to talk about positional value and not necessarily whether you know in interior defensive lineman is is up there in positional value but i think 
the the difference between Oliver and even like Christian Wilkins and the defensive tackles who are going to come next off the board I think there is a significant gap because Oliver can just just be really special and if you get that interior defensive pressure I think that helps make the work for the edges a little easier because you don't have as much resources on the offense that are accounting for what's going on in the edge because you have to worry about that interior pressure I'm not sure if that you know, completely turns around a defense, especially with a defense like the Giants that has so many holes. But that's not something you should be passing up because that absolutely has the chance to to be something special there. Yeah, and especially with a creative defensive coordinator, there's just so many possibilities with how you could use him. I could see them lining him up at nose tackle on occasion, you know, maybe 5% of his rushes at max just to take advantage of his first step and just attack one of the a gaps or maybe even force the offense to react and then send a double a gap blitz, or you could line him up on the edge and use his explosiveness and agility. I mean, he had a, better short shuttle than Saquon Barkley. That is just absurd. And you could even have him drop into coverage as part of his own blitz. I've, we used to see New England do it with Vince Wilfork. And if he can do it at about, I don't know, 400 pounds or so, then yeah, Ed Oliver definitely should be able to handle a short zone drop. The possibilities with him make him absolutely exciting as a prospect even if there is still work to be done to get him up to his maximum potential yeah i mean he probably he's athletic enough to drop into coverage i wouldn't want him to and that's kind of why some of those rumors that nfl teams were talking to him about playing linebacker kind of crazy to me which he probably athletically could handle it but someone who is so good at disrupting the play close to the ball you don't want to bring him further away from the ball so that never really made sense to me yeah there are some things to work on I think a lot of that could just be putting him in a better scheme Uh, but I think putting him like next to BJ Hill makes BJ Hill better it's part of a defensive line rotation if you have then a Hill Oliver Dalvin Tomlinson that is a nice little defensive line rotation there at with with the starting three that you could use and you have Tomlinson in the middle and Oliver and Hill to each side. And that's probably not what you, your base personnel is going to be, but that's a pretty a decent defensive line when you, before you even consider the edges. And I think that helps there, which is getting that pressure. Oliver can play the run. I, I, that's you know not a concern. I think if you're super disruptive against the pass, especially the interior, the run defense is going to come whether you can do it or not just by the ability to get into the backfield. The, the run defense is going to come. I would also say that if he can hold up to a guard center double team as a nose tackle, he can handle an offensive tackle as a five technique. Yeah, he, he, can, he can set an edge and keep contained. Yeah, there's just, there's so many possibilities there. And I think the the deeper I've gotten into kind of starting to finalize my opinions on these prospects, 
Now, Oliver has just you know, continued to be pushed up uh, my board, and I really think if he's there, I I don't really see how the Giants could pass that up if they're going to be best player available, because if they're doing a board correctly, Oliver should be high up there. And I think they have a system where he would be able to succeed. And again, when you just have a defense that has so many holes right now, just getting as many good players as possible and someone who could could be as special as Oliver, I think would be a no-brainer pick if he's available. Yeah, definitely. And like we said in our bonus podcast, that is, I suppose, the silver lining to how the Giants have conducted their offseason so far. They have put themselves in a position where they can go best player available without having to worry about need because, well, pretty much every position except for long snapper, kicker, and punter is a need and running back. Yeah, that's pretty much where they sit right now. So uh, we are going to take a quick break and then come back with a few questions. Okay, so we are back and we are just going to answer uh, a few questions that uh, we've gotten that have been sent to us, most of them I think all of them draft-related. So uh, we're going to uh, stick with uh, the defense here, and this is a question. Are there any later-round guys, especially on defense, that you think would help transition to the 3-4 and provide depth? Since we have a plethora of late-rounders, I wanted to know if any names stuck out to you. Yeah, there are a couple. The transition to the 3-4, I'm not sure how much that really matters. One, the transition has kind of been made to this point. And also, uh, like we said earlier in the show, uh, the difference between 3-4 and 4-3, there's barely a difference anymore. There's so much nickel. There's so many players moving around. So the base defense just does not really matter as much as it used to. Uh, It, It almost doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, for some teams, especially like Betcher, you know, you do have the edge rushers standing up more than they would in, you know, a traditional what the Giants would look like in, you know, 2007. Yeah, the defense is going to look a little different. But in terms of the actual personnel, uh, it's not super different. Um, But I think there are a couple like mid to late round guys that I like. We've talked about John Kaminsky before. He could be that, you know, interior defensive end on a on a three-man line or he could be a defensive end on a, on a four-man line he could play the interior there too he's super athletic again he's a he's a small school guy from charleston southern he uh, tested quite well at 82nd percentile in spark which uh, composite athletic testing he's a guy that i i could see the giants looking at he's listed six five two ninety so i think he can be that little tweener role and tweener now i think is a, a positive you used to say tweener as a negative where you can't figure out how to play these guys i think tweener now is a positive where you realize how versatile these guys can be and you can play them uh, in different places so i uh, kaminsky is a guy that really stands out for me there yeah i i could bring up your guy, Ben Banigu, out of TCU. Yeah, you know, for some reason he is just consistently ranked in the mid or even late mid rounds on big boards. I I'm not sure why. I think I think he could wind up going a lot earlier than maybe people suspect. But if he happens to slip, the Giants should definitely be in on him. Same with Christian Miller, edge out of Alabama, another guy that we've talked about a few times who again just the mid rounds he should be on the giants radar 
And I'm going to stay with Edge and go with Justin Hollins out of Oregon. It's another player who really kind of surprised and tested off the charts. He wasn't getting much buzz during the season and the early part of the draft process, but just as an athlete, he stands out. He does stand out on tape, but most people don't watch Oregon's tape for defense, which I think might be why Ugo Amadi is also kind of flying below the radar. And he has also been productive. He missed his sophomore season, but since 2017, he's had 25 and a half tackles for a loss, 11 sacks, two interceptions, one return for a touchdown, six passes defensed, and seven forced fumbles. So that is solid production, especially when you have a guy who is just that athletic. He's interesting. Another guy I like is Max Crosby of Eastern Michigan. Uh, he's about 6'4", 255. He played a lot of just a defensive end in a three-point stance, 93.1% of the time, but super productive at EMU. A 16.2% pressure rate tied with Brian Burns for the seventh highest pressure rate, but he also rushed 93% of the time. So when you see a high pressure rate like that with a guy who rushed a high percent of the time, that is very productive. So he could be type of a mid-round guy. He's one of those super athletic guys. He was fifth in this edge class in Spark. And when you mix that production with athleticism, that's where I think you can you can get these types of guys to hit. Yeah, and just one last one, just maybe a name to keep an eye out for is PJ Johnson out of Arizona. He's a defensive tackle, a big guy, which we know the Giants like, uh, 6'4", 335. But he can actually get some things done behind the line of scrimmage. He only has one year at Arizona, which was last year. He got 31 total tackles, eight and a half tackles for a loss, three sacks, a pass defense, and a forced fumble. And the Giants had him in for a top 30 visit. So they're at least a little bit curious about him. So that might be somebody to keep an eye on as well. And if they want depth at the nose tackle, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson is a, he's not snacks. Nobody is snacks, but Dalvin Tomlinson is a good nose tackle, but you got to give the big guys a rest every now and again. Yes, you do. And that's something the Giants have talked about. They want to have that deeper defensive line rotation. We'll move on to the next question. This is from Jim Singer. So I was wondering if Miles Boykin, the wide receiver from Notre Dame, has been on the Giants' radar at all. Thinking third to fourth round, though I'm doubting he'll be around in the fourth. 6'4", 220, ran a 4'4", at the combine. Also has 43 and a half inch vertical leap, 11 foot, 8 inch broad jump. Low production numbers might keep from getting picked very high but if a quarterback who could throw an accurate long ball his numbers would be different good blocking wide receiver which would be a plus do you think he would be of interest so we have not seen actual physical interest yet but i would not be surprised if you listen to our positional drafts we talked about the likelihood of the giants taking a wide receiver it's probably going to be you know in the middle rounds boykin's interesting for me i'm not totally sure where I fall on him right now. He is super athletic. The 99.9 percentile of Spark. That is uh, insane. He is a crazy good athlete. The thing for me though is I think athleticism matters 
maybe the least amount for wide receivers. I mean, it, it certainly helps. And if you use your athleticism to be good, then that is incredible. But I don't necessarily think you need athleticism to be a good wide receiver like I think you probably do like at edge. And also, I don't think athleticism covers up not being a good wide receiver kind of like it might at position like edge um the athleticism it just it did not always translate to production and in terms of you know the, the quarterback play that's what i try to take out of the equation in when i put together target yards added uh, because i take the wide receivers yards per target and then look at what the quarterback does to everyone else. So that's kind of trying to isolate the quarterback play because it's putting everyone else uh, in there too. And it's kind of seeing what the production is like just to that wide receiver. And uh, Boykin comes in just 28th at 0.69. And when someone is below one, that's when I start to raise a bit of a red flag and kind of wonder why. Um, His 2.1 yards per route run is one of the lower one of the lower numbers uh, in this group that he ran deep uh, pretty often, 53.7%. He lined up in the slot 20.8%. So he does have some versatility there. So I'm just, I'm still not sure where I fall on him. He's super athletic. That is great. I'm not sure that totally matters for wide receivers though. No, Ed, you know, as guys like Emery Hunt or Dan Hatton are kind of fond of saying is that size is not a skill. And I think we could extend that to athleticism. It doesn't really matter how fast you can run if you're not running a good route. You know, if you're rounding your brakes off and you know, just not running your route accurately, it, you could be nowhere near where the quarterback thinks you're, you should be when you're supposed to be there and not able to get separation with your route, which makes it easier for defensive backs to cover you, who are also going to be really good athletes. So the skill is in how you use your physical abilities. That being said, I imagine Boykin would be on the Giants' radar, especially if he starts to slip a little bit, just because Dave Gettleman loves size, he especially in wide receivers. And also, the Giants don't really have an X receiver right now. They've got Benny Fowler and Cody Latimer, but I can't say that they're going to be scaring anybody or you know really inspiring a whole lot of confidence. So I could see them taking a chance on a player like Boykin and maybe hoping that they could coach him up and and work on kind of the the deficiencies in his game. I will say that Matt Harmon does like Boykin and the reception perception does like him. So for me, that is a point in his favor. Yeah. And I mean, the gentleman does like size. You know, you can see that with the, some of his previous picks like you know, the Devin Funches and Kelvin Benjamin. Um, although he did shift to Curtis Samuel as his last wide receiver pick uh, before he was fired in Carolina. So there was a shift there to a a shorter, speedier type of guy. But yeah, so I mean, the the athleticism is there, especially with that size. Um, But I think 
you know, more than that, it, it matters if you can get open. One of my favorite wide receivers in the NFL is Keenan Allen who is not super fast and not super athletic, but he might be the best wide receiver in the NFL at just getting open and figuring out how to win against cornerbacks. And he is incredibly good at that. And he has brought that into a very productive career after running like a 4-7 or something. But I think if you if you want that size and you want you know someone who can also get open, like I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside would be a better option, uh, who is also a tall, has that uh, contested catch ability, ran a 4-4-9 at his pro day, and also just has the ability to get open. Um, go to scroll down through my Twitter. I posted a couple videos of our Sega Whiteside after his just during the day of his pro day when I was just kind of diving a little more into watching his games and he is just so good off the line he can win easily off the line and a lot of corners just aren't ready for it and he knows how to create separation off the line so he's someone I continue to like a lot so I think there is that option there. Uh, I believe the Giants are going to take a wide receiver, at least in the middle rounds. I would not be surprised if, if Boykin is there. He probably would not be my top target there, uh, but I, I would not be surprised if he is one. Agreed. So we got uh, one more, and this kind of uh, this ties into some of what the Giants did last year uh, and what they might do this year. And it was a year ago, Bradley Chubb was touted as possibly the best defensive player in the 2018 draft, and he went on to have an outstanding rookie season. Uh, how good is this year's crop of front seven defensive prospects in comparison with Chubb? Where would he stack up if he were coming out in 2019? This is an interesting question because I think uh, Bradley Chubb was good. Part of the context we have to have with his rookie season is he did get to line up opposite Von Miller, which does help. Yeah, that's a hell of a luxury for a rookie edge rusher. Uh, But, you know, you know, Bradley Chubb was very good and was very good in a draft class that did not have huge amount of of other uh, productive edge rushers. It was basically... Chubb and then everyone else. I kind of had Chubb and Harold Landry ranked about the same coming into the year, but Chubb took a step forward and Landry spent the year dealing with injuries and didn't do that. But so it, it was basically Bradley Chubb and then everyone else. Yeah, Bradley Chubb got taken fifth, and then it was Marcus Davenport at 14, and then like another edge didn't go until... Harold Landry at 41. Uh, so Bradley Chubb was fifth. There might be three edge rushers taken by five in this draft. So uh, where he goes, I would, I'd put him behind Nick Bosa. I think you could you know, maybe split it with Josh Allen, depending on how you view the versatility. I think Allen's a little better in coverage. You can drop him back as a linebacker a little more and, and move him around. So I think he he would be up there, I think. Uh, But I think that's an interesting piece of a what if for the Giants, because if they had taken maybe Bradley Chubb at two, they would have that edge rusher maybe last year would have been a little better with him opposite uh, Olivier Olivier Vernon. Not as good as Von Miller, but it's similar where he wouldn't have to be the number one guy. Because now if the Giants draft an edge rusher, they're going to have to be the number one guy now. They're not going to have the luxury of really lining up from <laughs> across from anybody for help. So, you know, if the Giants had taken him at two, do they not have to go edge here and they can maybe, you know, maneuver around a little more and not feel compelled to take an edge 
possibly at six, which is what it looks like they're going to do. So I think Chubb is is in that top tier. I don't think they would have been, you know, sacrificing anything for if they had possibly taken him last year and missing out on this class. I don't think there is super big difference there. I mean, I, I like Bosa better, but the Giants probably aren't going to draft Bosa anyway. So I, I think he he definitely belongs in, in that top tier. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm with you. I would have him behind Bosa just for versatility. I would probably have him behind Josh Allen as well because Allen can do just so much. He's, he's good going downhill and getting after the passer, but he can also be disruptive dropping into coverage. And that is that is a good bonus to have just from a game planning perspective. He would probably be in that group with you know, Brian Burns, Montez Sweat, Clone Farrell, where you've got this lump of really good and athletic pass rushers who all have good technique. They can play the run, although there's some question about that with Burns. I'm not overly concerned about it. And I suppose it would just come down to what the team that drafts him or what team picking where values what traits. Yeah, and that's really the big question with the uh, the edge rushers in in this class of, you know, what traits do you value the most? Uh, and there's you know, <laughs> there is a player for whatever trait that is. So I think when we look at what the Giants are probably going to get at six, uh, depending on what they're valuing, they are going to get someone good who uh, will fit whatever they're doing. I don't think they're you know going to be forced into an edge pick uh, just because there are so many good ones. Like last year, if you needed an edge, you had to you draft Bradley Chubb. Uh, or you had to do what the Saints did and and trade up half a round to get Marcus Davenport because he was the second best edge in that class. Uh, that's not going to have to be the case this year, which I guess does help the Giants with figuring out you know, what what traits they want to focus on uh, because they're going to be able to get a player that fits that. Yeah, definitely. And I think the big difference, just comparing last year's edge class and this year's edge class isn't that Bradley Chubb is better or worse than any of these top guys. It's really more that this top tier is so much more densely populated. Yeah, that is absolutely the case. I mean, this is one of the best edge classes we've seen uh, in quite some time. There might be, you know, seven or eight taken in the first round. There were four taken in the first two rounds last year. Yeah, it's... I've said it before, I'll say it again. This entire front seven class is just filthy. <laughs> um, okay, so we are going to end that there. Uh, thank you for the questions. If you guys have other questions, feel free to uh, send them in on, on Twitter or uh, through email. You know, Please do that because that also helps us to figure out what you guys want to talk about. We've been you know, just bringing draft topics <laughs> to the table since November. Uh, so if you guys have something that uh, you would like us to talk about, uh, please let us know. And you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Follow our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.